Okay, turn with me in your Bible to Matthew 24. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just continue along. We've, we're on uh, part four, the series that we've been in, Understanding the Age to Come. And so uh, if you haven't heard any of those yet, I would encourage you to go back on our podcast. And you can get those. You just go into iTunes and type in IHOP Atlanta. You can get those. Or you can do it on our website, IHOP-Atlanta.com. And uh, if this is your first one, just buckle your seatbelt. Because I may say some things that you've never heard before. But we should have been paying attention to some of this stuff. Um, there are uh, about 150 chapters in the scripture that deal with the end of this age and the age to come. About 150. And most of those, we just relegate them off into the don't know what that means thing, or we try to spiritualize them and make them fit somehow spiritually without any real understanding about what the scripture is even talking about. And we, thro- we end up throwing out literally a hundred plus chapters that are rich with insight and detail about the kingdom of God, the way the Lord's going to culminate this age and what he's going to do in the next age. And, uh, and so it's important that we take time and we move through these chapters to gain perspective of the, of the whole story of the scripture, not just for this age, but for the ages to come. And so, uh, We've been working on this about understanding the age to come. Had a gentleman ask me, uh, just a friend uh, who, who doesn't go here, he goes, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? I go, I'm, I'm preaching on uh, Jesus ruling the planet in the next age. He goes, whoa. <laughs> I go, yeah, it's super important. <laughs> he goes, okay. <laughs> and, and so you think, and I, I know what he's saying is like, how does that apply to anything in my life? Well, it's so important. And here's why. Ordinarily, when people talk about uh, life and death, and they think about what they're doing and their vision for, for their life, and then they also think about heaven, they, they are so focused on their vision for the 70, 80 years that they're alive in this age, because they've got almost no picture and, and no feeling really of what it means to just sort of be in heaven. You know, if you die now in Christ, you go to heaven, but that is, that's the waiting room. Because when Jesus returns, first Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, 14 says, he will bring with him all those who have died in Christ. When he returns, that whole group is coming back. So that's the wonderful, I mean, that's the best waiting room ever. You know, it's not just magazine and music. I mean, it's, it's heavenly throne, spiritual everything. I mean, power encounters. But it's only a portion of the full expression of the glory of God. And here's the point. God is going to express his glory in a merger, a joining together of those things which are in heaven and those things which are on the earth, which is what Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 tells us. That he's going to join those things together under one head, Christ. And so then you and I get to experience flowing back and forth in glory and in intimacy with the Lord in in a uh, spiritual and natural combination realm called the, the, the millennial kingdom, the next age. Where the spirit realm and the natural realm are, are joined together under one head, Christ. And that's a preparation for another age. 
Paul tells us in Ephesians 2, in Ephesians 2, there are ages to come. And so we've got to get our minds on what is the bigger, broader picture. And most people, they only have a vision for what they're going to do on the earth and no vision for heaven. And the reason why is God put that in there because you are going to live on the planet. Jesus is returning and you're going to be on the planet ruling with him in the next age. That's the whole point. That's why you're more connected to a uh, earthly vision of some sort. We overplay it and we make it only about these 70 years and then we think anything past it, you know, kind of in our minds we think it's going to be boring and that couldn't be further from the truth. There are ages to come by which we will experience his incredible mercy and grace and glory and power. We will have a partnership with him. It makes, well, it makes tons of sense to God. I don't want to act like God doesn't know what he's doing. It's us who don't get it. The the God who doesn't need anything chooses to lead the entire next age with team ministry. (laughs) He doesn't need help from anybody, but we get to reign with him on the earth. I mean, what kind of humility is that? So anyway, this study, it, 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 what it does is it gives language and um, understanding to our desire to make an impact on the earth by, by seeing how it bridges multiple ages. But secondly, it's primarily about the beauty of the Lord Jesus. And that's why I was kind of punching that this morning during worship. We were singing that song I tell you, in that day, Isaiah 4.2, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious. And when you see Jesus and all of his capacity, when you begin to get even a little revelation, I mean, I've just got a little revelation of it, and it shocks my, my being. When I see Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, and his capacities, his manifold capacities to run and rule and reign in perfect leadership, in perfect humility and in perfect love, any human being with that level of power gets corrupt. Jesus has full authority in heaven and earth and he's totally not corrupt, totally meek, totally in love. And when you begin to see him just a little bit, oh man, it makes your heart come alive. It's what the next age is about. The beauty of the man Christ Jesus. Seeing him for who he is. He will be unveiled. And so we can touch that in an introductory way now. And so I'm just going to work this week and next week just through premises, scriptural premises about the age to come. Trying to give us verses. It's going to be a little bit more Bible study. I just want you to connect with me through it as we touch some verses. It's so important because it changes the way you think and the way you live in this age. You know, God is eternal He has plans that, I mean, there's whispers of them in the scripture. They go on for millions of years. You know, a million years from now, God already has the plan. You know what that does with the 6,000 years of human existence and the 1,000 years even of the next age? That makes that the, I mean, it's not even the foundation yet. You know, you build a giant building and you have to dig down, you know, five stories for the huge skyscraper to go up. I mean, beloved, we haven't seen anything yet of where this thing is going. You know where we are in human existence in terms of what God's doing? He has just dug the hole. 
We're staring at a muddy hole. Because <laughs> there's so much coming. I mean, the God who is infinite, infinite, he's infinite in knowledge, wisdom. He's infinite in beauty, in majesty, in mystery. He's real smart. That God has got plans for a billion years from now. We've got a little glimpse of 6,000 years, kind of Adam, got a little Noah thing going on, Abraham. Got a few prophets in there, Jesus. You know, and, and we see our lives and we kind of get God and we make him this big. All he's done so far is dug the foundation hole. Because the mystery of what God is going to produce for ages and ages to come, he's got an ever-increasing kingdom. It's a skyscraper. Who knows where this thing is going? So he's given us some glimpses. We want to connect to that because we want our hearts to explode in wonder over who the man Christ Jesus is. All right, so let's just begin to work through these scriptural premises. First one is this. Did you turn to Matthew 24? I'm there. Did you get there? If you're there, say yeah. Okay, good. The first one is this. When Jesus returns, he's returning to end the worst global conflict the earth has ever seen. He's coming to end a three and a half year time of what the scripture calls great tribulation. He's coming to end the war. When he returns, he's returning in context to ending the global dominion of Antichrist on the planet. That's what he's returning to end. So that's the context in which he's coming. So he's coming back as a warrior king. And there are many passages in the scripture that identify what he will do when he comes back. If you want a few of them, just read on your own. Jeremiah 25, Isaiah 63, Isaiah 13. They go in detail. And they describe what the Lord will do when he comes back. Isaiah 66, and the fury of a fire that will devour adversaries. He's coming back to end the worst time of crisis the planet has ever seen. Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus, what are the signs of your coming? And what are the signs of the end of this age? And he gives us the most detailed description of the signs of the return of the Lord and the end of this age. And in verse 21, he describes that time. The end of the age. He explains how serious it's going to be. Here's what he says about it. Talking about the great tribulation. For then there will be great tribulation. Such has not been since the beginning of the world. Until this time. No nor ever shall be. So Jesus is returning in that context. Beloved this is coming. We have never seen the worst time of tribulation the planet has ever seen. That's a time in the future. You got to get your mind around that. That's coming. Sometimes we got this funky idea that we can avert all judgment and all disaster. And I tell you through prayer, and I believe much can be averted through prayer, but there's stuff that's decreed that will come to pass. Jesus gives these different things as timing indicators in Matthew 24. He goes, see, to, see that your heart is not troubled. These things must come to pass. So there's many different events that are going to happen in the earth. And they're going to actually be timing indicators up until the last three and a half years. 
And that last three and a half year time frame, time frame, he calls the Great Tribulation. And he says that's the worst time frame that will have ever been on the planet ever. And when Jesus returns, he returns in context to end that time of tribulation and to birth his kingdom on the planet. So it's important to see that when he's coming back as this warrior king, and you have these chapters about him treading on the nations, and his, his garments are whelmed with blood, and we see Jesus as this great warrior, we've got to understand he's coming back to dethrone Antichrist, and, he, and, and Haggai 2 tells us he's coming back and he will overthrow the thrones of every nation. What that means is he's going to displace every president, every king, every emperor, every prime minister of every nation that is not on board with him as the king of the king of king of kings and lord of lords. And we see the description of that if you're taking notes in Psalm 2. It says, why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot a vain thing? Why have they come together against the Lord and against his anointed one? Why would they do that? It's because they wanted to rule. They didn't want God's chosen king to rule. And it says, the Lord who sits in heaven, he shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision. And then he goes on to say, be warned, you kings of the earth. Be warned, you judges. Be instructed. Kiss the sun. They say, bow. David, the prophetic psalmist is saying, bow down and kiss Jesus. Lest he come in his wrath. And destroy you is the idea. Lest he be angry. Kiss the sun. That's a word to the judges of the nations. The judges of our nation. The king of our nation. President. And all those that are in leadership. Be instructed. The point is, get on with the agenda of the kingdom of God. And quit building your own kingdom. It's a good soundbite for somebody to use sometime. (laughs) So, when Jesus returns, he's returning to end the global domination of Antichrist on the planet. That gives you the context. He's, he's going he's to take over every throne, every government of every nation. They will see it. The nations will see it as a hostile takeover. It will be the answer to the prayers of the saints for millennia. Kingdom come, will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Which simply means Jesus be the king here, just like you are there. And it is his rightful inheritance as God's chosen one. So Jesus is coming to end that. So that's, that's first thought. Get that in mind. He's coming to end that time of great tribulation. Secondly, he's coming to set up his kingdom. And for, it's for a thousand year period that he is the, the king of the earth. There's several verses Zechariah 14 is one of them, says that he will alone be king in that day. The Lord alone will be king in that day. And it's for a literal thousand years. I want you to look at the verse in Revelation chapter 20. Turn on over there. It'll come up on your screen. Because people do funny things with this verse, but it's important to actually see it as it is. This is where we get the idea of the millennium. Millennium simply means a thousand years. And so, the, 
millennium is not a, it's not a scriptural term, but it's derived from the six times in Revelation chapter 20, verse 2 through 7, that the thousand years, that term is used. Millennium, thousand years. So verse 2, Revelation 20, is talking about this great angel. He says, he laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Bound him for a thousand years, he cast him into the bottomless pit, shut him up, and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. And after these things, he must be released for a little while. Now, some people will play games with this, and they'll say, well, we're in that time right now because the cross. Jesus has uh, disarmed principalities and powers, and and right now the devil is bound. And I go, well, if that's possible... If that's, if that's the case, then uh, if the devil is bound according to Revelation 20, then that means he's in the bottomless pit right now. He's shut up there, there's a seal on him, and he cannot deceive the nations anymore. Um, take a look. But if what we're seeing in the earth is the devil not deceiving the nations... We've got to, I mean, that's a major, major problem. This is a time yet to come. It's a literal thousand years. It will happen after the Lord returns. Satan will be bound. A great angel will chain him, throw him into the bottomless pit, put a seal on top of it so he cannot get out, and he will not be able to release deception on the planet for that thousand year period of time. Let me ask you this. What do you think the spirit of revelation will be like when Jesus is preaching the word of the Lord from Jerusalem and there are no deceiving spirits anywhere in the atmosphere of the, of the earth to corrupt or in any way pervert the word of God? I mean, the spirit of revelation is going to be ridiculous. Oh, those are going to be good teaching meetings. You know what I mean? In our average church meeting, you can get up and you could preach, I mean, directly from the scripture. You can just read the Bible straight up. And across the room, there'd be all sorts of little lying, you know, things going on in people's minds and, and little attacks of the enemy, you know, trying to pervert different stuff. And that day, there'll be no air traffic. <laughs> It'll be completely clear. Jesus will be teaching with truth. And the word of the Lord will go forth. And the spirit of revelation will be released in such a way that we've never seen on the planet. Without any inhibitors. So this is a literal thousand year period of time where power and, and, the, and the revelation of the word of God is going to go forth. D- the devil will be bound and, and in the bottomless pit. And Jesus will be setting up his global kingdom on the earth. That's a huge point. It's not figurative. Don't let somebody talk you into it being figurative. If they, if they go, no, that thousand years, it's figurative. We're already there. Point them right to this verse and go, well, then how is the devil in the bottomless pit unable to deceive anybody anymore? How's that? It's a, it's a really big point. Okay, thirdly. So you have Jesus on the planet ruling the thrones of all nations. You have... The devil bound. So you have these nations. So the question becomes, who populates those nations? Because we kind of have this picture like Jesus comes back and everybody either goes to heaven or hell or something. But here's what happens. The Lord returns 
saints, they go uh, and get a glorified body. The dead in Christ rise first. Those who are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. He brings back those who have died in Christ. There's this, I don't know how you would call it, convocation for a minute in the air. The Lord then brings all of them to the planet. He ends the global domination of, Sa- of Satan through Antichrist. And then he slays many, many, many who are on the side of the enemy. And so then the question goes, well, who makes it through? Does anybody make it through that time? And amazingly, there are verses that are really, really clear that talk about a group of people that actually make it through the time of the Lord's return. Right from this age, right into the next age, They don't get raptured because they're not believers and they don't get put to death because they didn't get on board with Antichrist. We like to call them resistors. We have fun with it. We think about the guy from Franklin, Georgia with a shotgun, bunch of cans, a beanie weenie and a bunch of water, pent up in his bomb shelter for three and a half years. And, you know, as far as he's concerned, he's not going to worship anybody. He doesn't care how much he looks like John F. Kennedy. You know what I mean? He's just not going to do it. And, and so there's a, a group that they, they're not believers, but they, they are resistors. And they resist bowing the knee to Antichrist, but they don't, they all say they don't get saved. There's a group of them that are Jewish, and there's a group of them that are Gentile. There's a bunch of verses that identify this group. I'm going to give you three just for fun. Zechariah 14, verse 16, which is to me the funnest. You should, you really should go and read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14 real slow just for fun. It will blow your mind, the detail. There are so many details, which we're not going to by any means be able to cover all the details. I don't understand all the details. I've got some of it in place, but I mean, there's so much more. But Zechariah 14, verse 16, it says, It shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem, this is talking about the last three and a half years, which came against Jerusalem, shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Every year, the nations will be required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. I don't believe it's every person on the planet. I believe it's representatives from the nations. They'll have to go to Jerusalem, make a pilgrimage to worship the Lord Jesus and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. That's going to be part of Jesus' uh, rulership in the next age. But it's those who are left from all the nations. So there's going to be people from all nations left who will actually populate the earth. Isaiah 13, 12. Again, Isaiah 13, it goes through the details of the day of the Lord and Jesus' return. He says, I will make a mortal more rare than fine gold. More rare. It doesn't say mortals will be extinct. It just says that it's, the number is going to diminish. So if you do the math and you figure maybe there'll be 8 billion people, maybe 10 billion people, depending how far out you think it is before the Lord returns. 10 billion people on the earth a rare number would be a couple hundred million maybe. The population of the earth decreased to maybe a couple hundred million. Isaiah 24 verse 6. 
Again, in context to Jesus' second coming. It says, the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Few. So few compared to 10 billion, like I said, probably a couple hundred million. That might be a little bit aggressive. But that's what's going to be, that's going to be the number that starts the next age. Now, the coolest thing is, not the coolest thing, I mean, there's so many coolest things. But one of the coolest things is that the earth, it's going to get healed. The atmosphere is going to get healed. And lifespans are going to increase. Until Isaiah tells us, there in, in chapter 65, 66, he tells us that the child who dies at the age of 100 will be considered accursed. <laughs> like, oh man, he died young. How old was he? 105. Poor guy. They must not have gone up to Jerusalem a few times. You know, I mean, 105 is going to seem young. 100 years old is going to seem young. And so the atmosphere will be healed. The earth will be healed. The curse will be lifted off the earth. Lifespans will increase just like they were in, old, in the Old Testament times. You had like Methuselah. He's the longest living guy, like nine or 69 years. And then they're, you know, different ages up, you know, from a couple hundred years to six, seven hundred. So you'll have people living long lifespans in the next age. These people that make it through, they will get married, they will have children, they will live in natural bodies, they will populate the planet as the earth and the atmosphere gets healed, they will go on, they will build societies, they will have governments, they'll have commerce, they'll have technology, agriculture, all sorts of things that we have today, and they will, their life expectancies will increase, and the population of the next age in a thousand years, will probably rival and, and probably exceed the population uh, since the time of Adam till now. Because people aren't dying. They're just living and living and living and living. My opinion, that's my opinion, that the population numbers will increase to exceed the total number that have lived up to, from Adam till now. But I think it's likely. Okay, so you got Jesus returning to end the war. You got a literal thousand years where Satan is bound. You got people on the planet who make it through, Jew and Gentile. Now the Jews, we got several chapters that tell us that the Jews will be a hundred percent holy nation. Several chapters, Joel 3, Isaiah 60, uh, several of them. I mean, many, many, many. Zechariah 8, Zechariah 1. And they'll be a hundred percent fiery holy nation. They'll be God's example to the earth of what it looks like when a nation serves the Lord. Now here is a massively important premise that we've got to understand. This is a fourth one. The natural processes of life will continue after Jesus returns just as they did prior to his return. Now, when he rules and reigns, he's going to have supernatural capacity and, and move in unusual power and glory and healing and divine, divine uh, manifestations. But he is not going to stop the natural processes of life. They are going to continue. We've got verses for that. Let me give it to you. I mean, the, let me, there's many verses for it. Let me give you the foundation ones. Genesis 8. Let's take a look at that. I'll come up on your screen. Verse 22. As long as the earth endures, 
seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, will never cease. As long as there's a planet, you're going to have these different seasons and times. This is an amazing promise that the Lord gave. Jeremiah 33, he calls it a covenant that he made with the day and the night. Referring to what he said back here in Genesis. As long as the earth remains, and look at these things that he gives us, seed time and harvest, spring and fall. Seed time and harvest, spring and fall. Cold and heat. Talking about temperature fluctuations. Seasons. Summer and winter, because I'm being very clear. There will be summertime, there will be wintertime. There will be springtime, there will be fall. Day and night. These things will not cease. Well, if you have days, that means you have time. And so my point is this. Jesus, when he comes back, it's not sort of some like, whatever, you know, time lapse. We're kind of floating around and, you know, whoa, never been here before, you know. You're actually in time. Clocks still work. Tick. Time happens. Days happen. Nights happen. Seasons happen. Months happen. There's a process that continues to take place. Seed time and harvest. So he's giving us spring and fall, but he's also giving us the, the, the basis for agriculture. You're going to plant things. Well, not us, but the people that live on the planet will plant things. You and I, the believers, let me just make this point clear. We get a glorified body. We interface with the earth We live in the new Jerusalem, but we interface with the earth, helping Jesus rule and reign. Those on the planet live on the planet. Does that make sense? You and I get a glorified body. Our home is the the new Jerusalem. That's why when you see the new Jerusalem in the book of Revelation, he says, let me show you the bride. The city is the bride because the bride is living in the city. And we interface with the planet and those on the earth who make it through, they populate the planet. They will plant. They will harvest. They will uh, build governments. They will uh, trade and do economics. They will have multiple spheres of society. And we will work with the Lord to help give leadership to all of that. So time continues. Harvest and planting and agriculture continues. The Lord has created these natural laws, and this is how he governs the planet. He doesn't suspend those laws when he comes. So you have a thousand years, they're right, right there in Revelation 20 when he tells us six times it's a thousand years. You know that years are counted by months. Months are counted by days. Days are counted by hours, which are counted by minutes, which are counted by seconds. Time doesn't stop, it continues. This is a massively important point. Because the natural processes have to continue to go forward. And so that means when Jesus comes to end that war and certain people make it through, there's a time where he's got to judge those that had teamed up with the Antichrist. And Matthew 25 gives that to us. It's called the sheep and goats judgment. It says the Lord will sit on his throne of glory. He will gather all nations before him. You could say those from all nations. It's not every person on the planet necessarily. But he'll gather them before him and he will judge them based on the way that they related to him and the way that they related to his people. 
And you see it specifically. He says, if you did a kindness to Israel, he goes, I'll take it as if you did it for me. And if you did wickedness to Israel, I'll take it as you did it to me. At the end of the age, there'll be a great swell of anti-Semitism. And Jesus will literally have a tribunal. He will sit on his throne of glory in Jerusalem. And he will, he will bring people from the nations and deal with them and judge them based on how they re- are related to the Lord Jesus and what they do with Israel. Imagine the guy. He's, he's on board with Antichrist. Spends three and a half years tormenting Jews and putting them to death. Doesn't die in Jesus' initial return. And they go, hey, by the way, that guy you saw in fire in the sky, he's asking everybody to come to Jerusalem. He wants to talk to you. What do you mean? Well, he's overthrown the throne of Antichrist. He's now ruling in Jerusalem. And he wants to talk to every person who had any dealings with his people, Israel. He's a Jewish man. The guy goes, oh boy. I've been torturing Jews for three and a half years. Yeah, he said he wants to talk to you. And it says he will put them to death. I mean, it's clear. So there's these natural processes. There will be a massive time of cleanup after this war. If it's the worst war ever, there's all these, you know, army guys that are killed. They've got all these, you know, uh, army equipment that has to be gathered up and, and cleaned up. You ever seen a battlefield? I mean, we, you, you probably haven't, but like a movie one. There's all sorts of stuff out there. Birds out there and all manner of, ugh. Well, it's all going to be cleaned up because it's on the planet. Look at, it, look at this. The scriptures are amazing to me. They actually give detail of this. I just got to show you this one. Ezekiel 39. Look over there. Ezekiel 39, verse 9. After Jesus returns. This is amazing to me. Then those who live in the towns of Israel will go out and use the weapons for fuel and burn them up. The small and large shields, the bows and arrows, the war clubs and spears. For seven years, they will use them for fuel. They will not need to gather wood from the fields or cut it from the forests because they will use the weapons for fuel and they will plunder those who plundered them and loot those who looted them, declares the sovereign Lord. On that day, I will give Gog a burial place in Israel. Gog being the leader, that'd be Antichrist. In the valley... Of those who travel east toward the sea will block the way of travelers because Gog and all his hordes will be buried there. So it will be called the valley of Haman Gog. Look at verse 12. For seven months, the house of Israel will be burying them, who? The guys that were in the army, Antichrist's army, in order to cleanse the land. All the people of the land will bury them and the, and the day I am glorified will be a memorial day for them, declares the sovereign Lord. Look at this. Men will be regularly employed to cleanse the land. Some will go throughout the land, and in addition to them, others will bury those that remain on the ground. At the end of the seven months, they'll begin their search. And as they go through the land, and one of them 
sees a human bone. He will set up a marker beside it until the grave diggers have buried it in the valley of Amon Gog. So what do you got? You got these guys that the Jews are going around outside of Israel where this massive military campaign was where there's dead bodies. And you got some guys and they're putting markers by the dead bodies. And you got other guys who are digging holes and putting the dead bodies in. And they have to, there's so many dead bodies, they're doing it for seven months. This is cool because it's way better than turning into a fat baby, wearing a toga, floating on a cloud and playing a harp. There's actually another age that's got specifics and details and it's in time and there's government and there's leadership and the planet actually has to be cleansed. Jesus doesn't just wave his hand and all the dead bodies just disappear. No, I'll tell you what, a bunch of the guys in Israel, their job, their first job is going to be grave diggers. How do I know? Ezekiel 39 is clear as a bell. A bunch of guys are going to be putting down the markers. A bunch of guys are going to be digging the holes. They're going to be putting the dead bodies in the holes. And they're going to be searching for bones. Why? They don't want the land to be desecrated. They have a cleanup process. And then what are they going to do? They're going to be picking up all the shields, all the clubs, all the swords, all the wooden stuff. They don't have to chop a tree down for seven years. Hey, man, can I give some shield? I need some firewood. Sure. <laughs> seven years worth of firewood. Of course, it says fuel. I just, I'm just thinking about it. The Lord's going to go, maybe, my idea. He's going to go, I tell you what. If you'll go and get this herb and put a little dirt in there and add a little salt to it and put some wood together, put that in your car engine. Yeah, you can go 500 miles on one little block of wood. I mean, there'll be no telling. Jesus, the most brilliant mind who knows all the secrets of science and mathematics, there's no telling what wood can actually do. probably going to be powering, you know, the whole Middle East for fuel. There's no telling. Seven years worth of fuel just from that one battle. So the natural processes continue. That is a major important point. Understand, beloved, this thing doesn't end just when the Lord returns. In so many ways, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. This is the internship. I can't stress that enough. The way that you say yes to the kingdom now, the way that you say yes to the value system of the kingdom of God now has everything to do with what you will do and your role in the next age. Your rewards that you'll get and your role have, are all dependent on how you live your 78, 80 years now. You're training to work in the new government that's coming. Led by Jesus. You're training to have a specific role in the kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. We're manifesting kingdom stuff now. We're bringing and, and, and manifesting the power of the kingdom now. We're proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom now. We're establishing kingdom stuff now. Unto... A day of reward. That's why I call the judgment seat a job review. Because you're working in the kingdom now, but in a minute you're going to get a job review based on how you lived in this age, and then you'll get a placement for the next thousand years. You'll get rewards. 
There'll be glory imparted to you and you'll get a job placement based on how you live in meekness and humility and faithfulness now. I'm telling you, this isn't all there is. This isn't all there is. So much more coming. So the natural processes, they continue. I read that Ezekiel 39 verse because it's just, it's interesting. They're going to be cleaning up the land. That's crazy stuff. There's so many verses like that. There's so many portions of scripture that give us these unique details. All right, the fifth thing I want to touch is that there is going to be, and there has to be, an establishment of new government all across the planet. New governmental infrastructure all across the planet. Haggai 2 verse 20 says, when he comes, he's going to overthrow the throne of every nation. Well, he's not just going to leave every nation in anarchy. He's going to remove any leader that's not on board with the kingdom. And then he's going to put in place new leadership in every, uh, every nation of all the earth across the globe. Now think about it. Think about this for a minute. Think about how much has to go into the, the authority structure of this county. I mean, elected officials, you know, police, judges, schools, you know what I mean? All the government institutions in just this county, thousands of people, isn't that right? Now, think about all the counties in our state. Now, think about our state, just the state infrastructure. Now, think about all the states. Think about our whole nation. Think about how many employees there has to be just to run the infrastructure. He's going to overthrow every nation. So what does that mean? He's not going to leave it in anarchy. He's going to actually plug in leadership in a very hands-on style of leadership. He's going to plug them in in, into uh, leadership positions in, in so many different facets of so much government all across the board. Isaiah 9, it gives us hints of this. Look at this verse. We love this verse, but we almost don't have any clue what it means. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. The government of what? Every nation will be upon his shoulder of the kingdom of God on the earth. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Where? Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. And this is the phrase, to order it and establish it. To order it and establish it with justice and judgment from that time forward, even forever. The Lord's zeal, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. This is massive. Jesus is going to work through the governmental structure of every nation, of every state in every nation, of every county or district, and he's going to put in place uh, leaders uh, to, to take the place of those that he's overthrown. Every sphere, politics, economics, uh, education, uh, agriculture, media, arts, energy, all the social institutions. He is going to be hands-on in putting these uh, people in place. Here's what's amazing to me. 
right now, right now, Jesus has a well thought through plan on how to build the infrastructure for all the nations of the earth. How do I know? Because he has a well thought through plan on how to get it out of the way. He's not going to show up and go, huh, now let's start thinking about this. We're going to need some people to run some stuff. You, I mean, it's, it's, he's, he's brilliant. He has it already thought through. Think about it. When, when the United States went into Iraq and we helped bring a, a regime change there, I mean, not trying to, to mess with anybody or, or say anything negative. The, the point is, we blew it on so many different levels. We didn't know cultural things, and we messed this up. We didn't know this social facet. We messed that up. It's just a matter of the human condition. You can't know everything there is to know about setting up a government. There's no way. Jesus knows it all. He knows every people group, every nation, everything that has to take place. He's got a thought-through plan. He's going to show up, and he's going to begin this process of building his government throughout the nations of the earth from top to bottom. No wonder he's wonderful. No wonder he's counselor. That's not just you know, show up and do the counseling appointment with Jesus, that's, no, he imparts wisdom that is implemented throughout the globe. He gives counsel by which the entire kingdom is ordered and established all across the earth. Every sphere of all the societies will be by Jesus' direction. Do you have any concept of how brilliant this man is? You know, we love to think of him as God, but we forget he's a man. We're going to be freaked out about how much of a man he is. He shows up when, he, when he's resurrected. He goes, guys, feel me. I've got a body. Jesus has a body. We're a little Gnostic sometimes. We just think he's some wisp of smoke. He's got a body. He goes, look at my hands. There's holes. Touch them. They actually physically touched his holes and his, and his arms and, and, and they felt his side. He's a real man. I mean, we are going to be blown away by how much of a man he is. And he's so full of wisdom. And, and you see it in the Isaiah 11. It gives these seven different attributes. Spirit of wisdom will rest upon him. Of, of might and counsel and the fear of the Lord, these things rest upon him. It's in context to his governmental role as king of kings and lord of lords. This thing is going to happen in time. It's going to happen for a thousand years. It's going to happen through the natural processes of life. And he is going to set up governmental infrastructure across the whole planet. And it's going to be perfect because he's perfect. It's the perfect leader. Perfect in all of his execution, perfect in all of his planning. He's not going to be surprised at how to do it. He knows exactly what's necessary. He's got a thought-through plan now. He's going to make judgments between nations. He's going to get rid of the old leadership. He's going to plug in new people. The verses actually give this to us. Let me just read a few to you. Psalm 110, verse 6. He shall judge among the nations. What's that talking about? It's talking about when he comes back, He's going to set up the boundary lines. He's going to say, no, okay, you guys, your nation is here. You, you guys took that land there unjustly back in, you know, 1973. He goes, we're going to move you back over here. For real, Israel is going to cover the original land of promise. 
It's going to be from like Egypt all the way over. By the way, Israel is this big. Sorry, guys, Jordan, I'm going to back you down a little bit. I'm going to move you over here. Palestine, okay, moving you over. And he's going, to, he's going to judge among the nations. He's going to set up the boundary lines again. He's going to order those nations. Listen, this that I'm saying is not very popular in many, many parts of the world. A Jewish man is going to show back up and give big time land to Israel? Oh yeah. Like, not even a question. Of course the nations are going to rage. So he's going to judge among the nations. He's going to judge among, in, among leaders that, that have been in, in place. And, and best I can tell from the scripture, it seems to me that virtually every leader is not going to be on board with Jesus when he comes. He's going to have to actually replace every leader of every nation. Look at this. He says, he shall fill the places with dead bodies. Look at this. He shall execute the heads of many countries. Again, He's going to be on his throne of glory. He's going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to summon the nations to him. The president is going to show up of such and such country. He's going to go, um, you know, I really didn't like at all what you did with Israel. That thing you were doing, that concentration camp that you were supporting, you were on board with the, uh, the beast empire. I have a real problem with that. The guy's going to start making excuses and he's going, he's going to go, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a son of man, I'm a son of God, and I'm a son of David. And the, the king of the nation is going to go, what did you just say? He goes, yeah, I'm a Jewish man. I have a real problem with how you treated my people. You know, we pray for our nation not to do stupid stuff as it relates to Israel. Beloved, I'm telling you, there's a real day of justice and reckoning coming when the heads of countries will stare in the eyes of a Jewish man who is God and he will recompense them according to their works and according to how they treated his people. Read Matthew 25. He goes, and the the amount that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. He's going to say that to these heads of countries and then he's going to go, execute him. (laughs) You have a sense of who Jesus is? Oh, he's powerful. Oh, he's awesome. He's going to rule the nations. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Come up on your screen. Verse 3. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and, and we shall walk in his paths. In some ways, Jerusalem is going to be a massive conference center. People are all over the nations are going to say, man, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's teaching the ways of the Lord. He's teaching all sorts of unique things about, I mean, it's not just morality in the kingdom. It's also about government and, and economics and science. I mean, Jesus is going to be explaining the ways of God, the mysteries of creation. He'll teach us his ways and we will walk in his past. They're going to go, man, we've got to learn more about, you know, how to set up our economic system. Jesus is there teaching the ways of God as it relates to finance, stewardship, giving and receiving. Let's go. Let's go to the conference. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Look at verse four. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. I didn't like how you guys did that. This, good, that, not so much. We're going to change that part. They shall beat their swords into plowshares. What's it talking about? And there's spears and pruning hooks. 
Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn any war anymore. Jesus is going to teach the nations of the earth that war and, and, and this, this uh, attacking for power and prestige and for land and, and all this, he's going to teach them that that's not his way. The nations will not learn war anymore for a thousand years. Prince of peace, he is coming to bring peace. Really. So in successive generations, they won't have a concept of what war is only from history, only from the story, only from like grandpa. You know, he made it through. He was there. You know, it's 300 years later, it kind of got a little, you know, invigorated when the earth got healed. Environment got fresh and the fruit got big. Spinach (laughs) did the Popeye. So there's grandpa, the kid's 15, and he goes, grandpa, I heard that you were there. Yeah, I was there. There was a war. What was the war thing? Well, Jesus came back, and he slayed the enemy. (laughs) That's what the war was about. Huh. Interesting. He'll give the details. But the nations will not learn war anymore. Jesus won't teach war. He'll teach the kingdom. He'll teach meekness and humility. He'll teach the glory of the Lord. And, and nations will be blessed based on their connection with the government of God in the earth. Their connection with the value system of the kingdom. They will be blessed. They'll receive a greater measure of glory based on their abandonment to the kingdom of God. Their, the, their ground will produce based on their abandonment to the culture and the value system of the kingdom. Just like now when we have these uh, transformed cities. George Otis Jr., if you haven't seen the video, Transformation, you need to see it. These cities have embraced Jesus in such a manner, 95% of the people in some cities, one of them is Almolongo, Guatemala, they got, they're all born again. And what happened is the agriculture and the ground, it's gotten healed, and the prison is like out of business, and they don't need a police officer because they are completely all serving Jesus, and then the ground is healed, And it's producing gigantic fruit. And they're not learning the ways of injustice and perversion. They're learning the ways of the kingdom. This is what it's going to be like throughout the whole planet. He'll teach us his ways. They won't lift up sword against each other. They they won't learn war anymore. All right, last verse. Isaiah 11. Verse 2, talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. These are the things that Jesus is going to use. He's going to employ all these graces as he leads the nations. He's going to use wisdom and understanding like you and I have never seen. Counsel and might like we've never seen. Knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. I love it. He judges according to truth. He judges according to what's real. He doesn't judge just according to, you know, what, how man would judge. With righteousness, he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. He's actually going to have times when he brings... Leaders of nations who haven't served him, he's going to bring them before him and he's actually going to curse those guys and they're going to die because they've rejected Christ and assaulted his his people, Israel. 
He's coming back as a real man. He's a Jewish man. He's going to rule the planet. These processes are going to take place. He has a plan. He's going to set up governments all over the earth. You and I get to participate in it. It's going to be a thousand years of the glory of the Lord covering the earth as the waters cover the sea. Satan will be bound. And beloved, I tell you, we're just getting the hints of what this is like. Everything that we experience now when we feel the presence of God, when we feel the power of God, when we see a healing or a deliverance, those are powers borrowed, Hebrews 6 says, from the age to come. That age is going to be so full of glory and power and revelation and beauty. Oh, I tell you, we've barely scratched the surface on who the man Christ Jesus is. This man, the only one worthy. That's what it says in in Revelation 5. The only one worthy to do what? To open the scroll that that lays out God's action plan, that, that starts the global takeover with judgment events. The only one worthy to come as King of kings and Lord of lords. The only one worthy to overthrow the thrones of all nations. The only one worthy to stand as God's chosen king, his anointed king to rule the nations. That's Jesus. Amen. Let's stand.